Very pleasant. Good morning once again. Great subject we have before us uh, this morning. And that subject is God is our Father. God is our Father. We'll have a great passage to look at. Let's think about that for just a second. God is our Father. We're taught by Jesus to pray. Matthew chapter 6, He teaches us to pray, to start our prayers. Our Father who art in heaven. From John's writings, we read in 1 John 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, says that God's desire is that He would be our Father and that we would be His sons and daughters. Now we're going to sit on a passage this morning. That passage is Psalm 103. Psalm number 103. We're going to just kind of sit there. I've never gone ever to, I've watched a lot of different ball games. I've even watched archery in person. I've never gone and watched golf in person. I watch golf on TV, I go to sleep pretty fast. But I hear that when you go watch golf in person, there are two types of people watching. There are the sitters and then the flitters. The flitters are those who follow their favorite golfer and they're going from hole to hole and running and following and flitting around. And there are those who sit. sit. They'll sit on the 16th green or 17th green, just be there all day long and just watch the golfers as they come through. This morning we're going to sit right here Psalm 103, and think about the, the great fatherhood of God. God is our Father. Verse 13, notice it with me. Verse 13 of Psalm 103. As a father pities his children, or as a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. That's our verse right there. We understand this as a father pities his children, pities his children. It brings out the warmth that is behind that. It it brings out the emotion. It brings out the needs. It brings out the relationship that is there. It brings out memories, memories. I remember one time when we were in elementary school, the local elementary school was hosting a, a fall carnival at the, at the school and people dressed up and people uh, created dark rooms and it was very exciting for us kids to go there and, and we were going as a family and we were getting there and the first thing I did when I got there was spill Kool-Aid all over myself. I was so embarrassed. But I remember my dad just calmly took my hand and looked at my mom and said, we'll be right back and it didn't take us long to go to the house, have another change of clothes, and be right back in action. As a father pities his children. And children need compassion because they're growing up. They're growing up. And so as a father pities his children. You think about the view here. We, we view our children different than how we view other people's children. We love all children. We want every child born to know Christ and to be able to go to heaven one day. But you view your own children in a certain distinct way. 
And God is trying to get us to see how he views us. He views us as his own child. His own child. I think about the vastness of God. God is everywhere at the same time. He has all knowledge. And yet, he narrows it down for us here in verse 13. To something that we can understand. Something that we can put our arms around. As a father pities his children. And so let's make just, let's see just three main points this morning together about God as our Father. God as our Father. First, as our Father, He forgives us completely. He forgives us completely. You'll see this right here in Psalm 103. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 2, forgetting all His, all his benefits, verse 3, who forgives all of our iniquities and He heals all of our diseases. Notice verse 4. God redeems your life from the pit and He crowns you with steadfast love. Notice verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins. How thankful we are. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor does He repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 12. So far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. He forgives us completely. Let us not make the mistake that God simply overlooks our sins or simply overlooks sin as some benevolent Santa Claus who overlooks everything we do. Even though we are naughty, He's always going to be nice to us. That's not our God. It's not our God. God does not condone our sin, but He does want to forgive us our sins. But He does not condone our sins. He cannot do that. God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. He cannot overlook sin. He does not overlook sin. He will not overlook sin. Over in Habakkuk chapter 1 in the minor prophet Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 the comment is made about God how that He is much too pure even to look at sin. He is much too pure to even be able to look at sin. He cannot overlook sin. Our sin. And for all of us, that's, that's a very big problem. Very big problem. Except the fact that God sent His Son to die in our place. That would be a very big problem. But we have the writings of Isaiah chapter 53 that is so encouraging to us. Where it says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And I think there is a, there's a, well, what you can call an altness. Altness. O-U-G-H-T. Ness. Altness. There's an altness in all of us. 
because we're made in the image of God. We, we understand, I think every human being understands that there's something that we ought not to be doing. There are things we ought not to be doing and there are things that we ought to be doing. There's a way we ought not to be and there's a way that we ought to be. And unless a person solves that oughtness through Jesus, there's going to always be some darkness in his or her life. That's why people have so many distractions. That's why they have so many distractions. Because they know there is something missing down deep. And instead of being able to look at Christ for that, sticking with the scripture for that, then they have all these distractions. We start out with a little boy, little bitty toy chest when we're small, but for many of us, our toy chest grows larger and larger and larger and even into adulthood. So we're, we get distracted with all of our toys or we get distracted with all of our thoughts and all of our philosophies and we throw ourselves into our philosophies instead of following uh, Christ. Or we we begin to think, well, maybe I can just be the one exception. I'm, I'm invincible. And so we go to the gym. And we're going to build ourselves up. And there will never be anybody as healthy or as strong and robust as I am. So we, we go in that direction. We go in other directions. And in modern day, the phone or the smartphone has seemed to, to become a security uh, for many folks. They, they wake up with it. They take breaks with it. They go to bed with it. It is their calm down time where they need to be looking for, to Christ for that calm down. They, their go-to needs to be to Christ, but they're going to uh, their smartphones. But we see here, first of all, as our Father, God forgives us completely, completely. And how grateful we are, each of us, I know. We are grateful that the Lord has provided us the means of salvation through Christ, that He has provided the, the words of Scripture so that we may be able to know how to respond uh, to His great love and we can stay away from these uh, dark places. It was a very popular song writer and singer and actor who took his own life way back in the 1990s. And the note that he left, he simply said, I am a stain, S-T-A-I-N, I am a stain on life. I am miserable and I have nothing to live for. Even though he had tremendous talent, even though he already at a young age had all the money a person would ever, ever need. Yet, he wrote that statement, I am a stain on life. Now, he got part of that right because sin does stain us. The problem was he didn't know how to fill that void, that hole that was down deep into his soul. First of all, as Father, he forgives us completely. Second point this morning is... That as our Father, He knows us thoroughly. He knows us through and through. We'll notice it here in Psalm 103, verse 14. He knows us thoroughly. Through and through. No one knows us like the Lord. But notice in verse 14, the writer says, 
For he knows our frame. Literally there, he knows how we have been formed. He knows how we have been put together. And he remembers that we are, we are dust. Just a few pages over, you might want to add to the reading there, Psalm 139, that has similar remarks. Beginning in verse 1, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar off. You search out my path and you know my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know that altogether as well. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. David says, it is high. I cannot attain to it. He knows us thoroughly. He knows how we are formed. He knows what he's doing. Isn't it just amazing? It just is amazing. When you look upon the things of God, you cannot get away from the wonder of it all. And so, when your baby has a baby, and you think, she was just back there in the bed, only three feet high, and then she has a baby, and the first thing you want to do is to check that baby out, and yes, there's... There that baby is, all those fingers and toes. Little Sophia, when I held her the other day, she had a firm grasp of the shirt that she had on, the sleeve of the shirt she had on. I looked at her and I said, Now, Sophia, you need to be, you're going to have to grab my finger. And so I pried my finger, and yes, she grabbed it and held on, held on tight. Isn't that just amazing? The Lord knows us. Inside and out, from the tiniest parts of us to all that we are right now, He knows us and He provides for us as our Father. He provides especially what we need spiritually. And I think that is being made here, that point, that ideal is being seen here in Psalm 103 when it says 14, verse 14 says he remembers that we are dust. And then the next verse, verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. We have a shelf life, don't we? This God created us to live here, but only for a short time. This, is, this life is for preparation for the next big life, for the eternal life. And we are just like a flower. We flourish for a little while, and then we are gone. And then later you come by, you never knew there was a flower there in the first place. That's how God has set things up. Like it or not, this is how God has brought us here. And so especially does God provide for us Spiritually. Now, there are four questions that ought to revolve in our hearts and minds continuously through life. Only God can give the answer to these four questions. Question number one is Who am I? 
Question number two is, where did I come from? Question number three is, what am I doing here? Question four is, where am I going after this? Only God through his Bible can give us the complete answers to each of those questions. You see, it's not just a matter of guilt, not just an issue of guilt. There is an issue of guilt. And that was our first point. He forgives us completely. But there's also the issue of identity. Who am I? What am I doing here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? And God provides that as well. The ultimate end of that is that we get to be a part of God's family. He wants to be our father. He wants us to be his son's and daughters identity the world is curious isn't it in identifying us to the world you're just a number you're just a number how many times have you been asked what's the last four digits and then just what's the last four digits of your social security what's the last four digits of that credit card that's all they want that's all they want You can look at them and say, you don't understand. I am from Alabama. It don't matter. I just want your last four digits. That's all I need. You don't understand. I've been here. I've used this hotel a thousand. I've been to this hotel with the the senior saints at church. It don't matter. It don't matter. We want your last four digits. To the world, you're just a number. To the world, you're just a piece of paper. But to the Lord... He wants you, each of us, to be his child. As a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear him. Who fear him. It sure has been foggy this morning. Spiritually, think about the fog that surrounds so many hearts out there because... They don't know the Lord as as their father. They don't have a clue of who they are, who the Lord wants them to be, and where they came from. What are you doing here? And where are you going? We know we came from God's almighty hand. We've been reading about that. We know that we can be his child if we submit to his will. We know that we are here to help other people become a child of God. And after it's all said and done, God wants us to be His family forever there at His throne in the eternal regions. He knows us thoroughly. Thoroughly. And then our third main point is this. He loves us endlessly. He loves us In an endless way. Endlessly. Let's notice the verses here in Psalm 103. Look at your Bible again. Psalm 103. And notice how the love of God is so expressed. Verse verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Notice again verse number 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It just oozes out of him. He overflows 
with steadfast love. And then notice it uh, once again in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. See that? Verse 11. And then let your eyes go down to verse 17. Psalm 103. Verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. It seems that maybe everybody is looking for an endless love. The thought came to me, I don't know how many years this goes back, but the thought came about Randy Travis and how he's going to love her forever and ever. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. As long as old men sit and talk about the weather, as long as old women sit and talk about old men, I'm going to love you forever and ever. But truly, only one has that capacity. capacity, And that is the Father. From everlasting to everlasting, there is His steadfast love for those who will fear Him. Fear Him. We're mindful of the love as we will go from this part of worship to gathering around the Lord's table here. In just a moment, we are reminded of God's great love. And when we're reminded of that, we're reminded of John 3.16, which never is offensive to think about. For God so loved the world. In that little verse, you've got the greatest person whose very nature is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God is love. God loved us before He ever created us. Question, did God know that we would be sinners before He ever created us? Yes. Does that mean that God knew that He would have to send His Son to die for our for our sins, and to shed His blood for the cleansing of our sins. Did God know that before He ever created the world? Yes. Yes. In fact, 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20 talks about the precious blood of Jesus. As of a lamb without spot and without blemish, this is how we are redeemed. But all this was foreordained. It was foreknown. 1 Peter 1, 20. It was foreknown before the foundation of the world. What love that is. It's, there, there are no words to describe it. God. For God. And then John 3.16 also mentions the, the degree of God's love. Not just that God is, God's love is His own nature. But what about the de- degree of love? He so loved the world. He so loved the world. That word so means there, there is a great degree to this. Okay, this goes in a lot of different directions. His love extends to all human beings. Not that all will be saved from their sins. Not that all will eventually be to heaven. But His love is out there for them if they care to see, to see to it. 
Hebrews 2 verse 9 says, Christ tasted death for every man. Jesus so loved the world. And then John 3.16 says that He gave His Son. So the world, if we just go in order here, God is love. The, you see the degree of His love. He's so loved. The object of His love is the world. The world is the object of His love. And there's nothing attractive about the world. We've already seen we have our distractions. We we oftentimes, as the world goes, we oftentimes choose our toys, we choose our, our own thoughts, we choose a lot of things over God. There's nothing attractive. In fact, we repel the love of God. You know, we disdain it sometimes, but God still has His focus, His love is toward us, the world. God so loved the world that He gave His Son, His Son, the greatest display of love ever known. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, verse 8. John three sixteen says that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There are conditions to God's love. This has been mentioned again and again in Psalm 103. You notice that yourself? This love, this forgiveness... This knowledge of God, this, this manifestation of God here in Psalm 103 is promised to those who fear Him, who believe in Him, who submit to Him, who obey Him, who follow Him, who sacrifice for Him. God is not really asking us to agree with Him. He's asking us to submit to Him. I think about Abraham again in Genesis 22. Did God come along to Abraham and say, Abraham, now, I want you to understand and I want you to agree that the thing to do is to go offer your son Isaac upon the altar. No, Abraham didn't question it. It wasn't Abraham's place to agree with God. His place was to submit to God. And then God will work out the details later. And so we see here the fatherhood of God. He forgives us completely. He knows us thoroughly. He loves us endlessly. And the invitation of our Lord is always open. And I think you can already hear it. He wants us to be His child. What greater invitation is that? Now we're not to be His child like Jesus... Jesus is the only begotten one. He's the, he's the unique son of, of God, no doubt about that. Jesus serves in that way as our older brother in the family. We are adopted by God, Galatians 4, 4 through 6. We, re, we receive the spirit of adoption, and that's good. It's the greatest place to be. We can receive forgiveness, and God can put us into His family. When you come to the New Covenant, the Bible teaches that to begin our journey with Christ, to receive this forgiveness that we've been talking about, we must believe and we must be baptized.
for the remission of our sins. As Mark 16, 16 clearly says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. You may, it may be you have a need that is just a struggle. Remember who we're talking about this morning. The Father. God the Father. He knows us inside and out. There's not a problem that He cannot solve for us. Will you come right now as we stand together, as we sing?